welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, and I'll read it for us. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is God's word. You guys can be seated. This morning, we're going to look at the gift of adoption, both the gift of our adoption by God and also the gift we have of the opportunity of adopting children. This, as Josh mentioned, this Sunday is historically Sanctity of Life Sunday, and um, it's a good time to talk about the value of children and the value of adoption. And uh, what we really want to do is we really want to build a culture of adoption in our church. And I'll tell you kind of how this got started. I had breakfast with Rick Aragon. Where is he? He's back there. Okay. I had breakfast with Rick Aragon uh, back in November, and um, we sat down for breakfast kind of early, and he said, if Jesus wrote a letter to our church, what would he say? And I'm like, well, good morning to you too. You know, it was like a little much right off the bat. And I said, do you mean like kind of like the book of Revelation type letters of the churches? And he said, yes. And I said, well, I think that he would commend us for our love for one another. Um, I think that he would definitely offer comfort for the suffering that we've been through through the last year. And, um, but I just thinking about correction, because usually in those letters there's some correction, and I was thinking if there's anywhere that the Lord would want to correct our church, it would be in the area of care for the poor and needy. We think about God's priority for the poor. We've tried some things with like homeless outreach and things like that, but nothing's really quite stuck. And so I felt like for more than a year, like this is some, an area we really need to think about, we really need to grow in. And Rick pointed out that the, the categories of care that God has in the, in the Bible for the poor is the poor, widows, and orphans. That's kind of the, the three that you hear over and over again. And he suggested looking at our church and looking at all the families in our church and all the kids in our church and kind of where we're at life stage, a lot of our church. He, he was really thinking like, you guys are pretty equipped actually to, to love orphans through adoption. And so Rick and I talked about in that breakfast about how we could, you know, financially the church could help pay for members to adopt and, and put off some of those expenses. But Rick also brought up like how we could come around just in other types of support as well. So financial support, but also just like helping families out as they deal with the transitions of adoption. And uh, we even have people in our body who have tons of experience with adoption. And then I presented this to the elders, I think it was the next day, and they love the idea too. So I just want us to think this morning about the amazing Great Commission work we could do through adoption. I mean, think about that for a moment. Think about all the kids, both local ones and, and ones from the nations, who could come and live in your, you know, gospel-filled home. You know, kids that might not have had the opportunity to hear the gospel otherwise, and they grow up in your gospel-filled home. And I was just thinking about adding these children and adopting them into our church family, you know, to have them grow up with these other kids and, and to grow up in a, in a church that's filled with the gospel, too. I just think we have an amazing opportunity here, great commission opportunity to do this together, you know, both at, all together with our time, with our funds to be able to do this. So this Sunday is just the beginning of, I hope, building a, a culture of adoption. And my hope in this message is 
for some of you, that God would stir you to adopt. Uh, For the rest of us, that we would support you in it. And then for all of us, really, to just enjoy the adoption we have in Christ, right? So there's something for everyone, okay? So if you're not in a place where you could adopt, we can help. And beyond that, we can all just enjoy the adoption we have in Christ. And, because there's something for everyone, there are free books as well. So I have seven copies of Russell Moore's book, Adopted for Life, which is a great book both on the gospel and on adoption. So if you're interested in adoption at all, and you would read the book, they're right here, so grab one. There's no obligation to adopt if you take one of these books, just so you know. We're not like, well, you did take a book, okay? We understand that this is a big decision, okay? So if God's stirring you to adopt, you know, it's the beginning of a process. It's a process of prayer. It's a process of planning. It's something that would take perseverance to make a reality. And um, if you're in that place where you're trying to figure those things out, you know, there's different ways to do it. There's foster to adopt. There's private domestic adoption. There's international adoption. Um, if you're trying to figure those things out, the cool thing is we actually have families in our church that have done these things. And so where are the lepuses? Right back there? All right back there? You, you can put your hand up too, Courtney. You guys both do it. There you go. Right back there. So the lepuses, I talked to them. They would be happy to talk to you about foster to adopt, which they've done. And domestic adoption, private adoption, which they've done, and they would love to talk to you about it. I talked to Drew about it this week, and he was like, yes, have them come to me. And then uh, Matt and Emily Rogers right here. See, that's an extrovert. See, see how I raise his hand? <laughs> it's not just his hand's longer. It's fully extended, okay? So Matt and Emily uh, have done international adoption. They would love to talk to you about it. Matt was like, we'll have you over for dinner. We'd like to discuss all the ins and outs of it. Different ways have different pros and cons, so um, that's something that you can... Isn't it cool that we have that resource? Because it's not like we need to like bring someone in. We have families that have done this, and they would love to share their experiences. And so as you're, as you're doing that deciding and planning and everything, what I want to show you from this text in Galatians 4, 4 through 7, I just want to encourage you, as you're going through a process of decision and planning, the decision and planning your Heavenly Father did to adopt you, Okay. And if you're a Christian, your adoption story started a really long time ago. Do you know how long ago? Yeah, eternity past, we could call it. It's a weird phrase, but that's what we could call it. Before he made the world. Ephesians 1 says this, Blessed be the God and Father, okay, specifically focusing on the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. In that passage, you see that before he even made the world, he chose you for adoption, and he chose that Christ would be the means of adoption. And so when we think about, you know, when we think about the love of God, a lot of times when we think about the Trinity, we think about the love of God, we tend to focus on the love of Jesus for us, and we tend to not focus as much on the love of the Father, But that passage in Ephesians 1 is very specific. It's about the Father's love, that it's the Father out of the persons of the Trinity that had the idea to love us first. He was the one who loved us from eternity past. As John Owen says, we must remember the Father's kind thoughts toward us have been from all eternity. You think that way? We must remember that the Father's kind thoughts toward us have been from all eternity, Let this be the first thought we have of the Father, that he is full of eternal love to us. Let our hearts and thoughts be filled with his love for us, even though many discouragements lie in our way. Amen? So beautiful. So before time, the Father decided to 
love you through adoption. But then he had a lot of preparations that he made throughout history. And we see that in our passage. Take a look at Galatians 4.4. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. And, And this is really cool. So he has this plan to adopt you, but then he has this whole preparation thing that he's doing throughout history, and he does it through a series of covenants, right? We learned about this during Christmas time. Um, in Genesis 3 is the covenant of grace. He promises that a Savior is going to come, reverse the curse, welcome us back into his presence in the garden. Um, later, he makes a promise to Abraham that this Savior that's going to come is going to bless the whole world. Later, he has the covenant to Moses. That covenant really showed us that we can't save ourselves that we need a savior. There's no way our law keeping is going to save us. And then there was a covenant to David where we found out that this, this uh, one who would come would be both savior and king. And there's something that we're to learn as we're reading through all those preparations that God made through the Old Testament. We're to learn from all that that we can't save ourselves. Amen? As we see the whole story of the Old Testament, we know that we can't save ourselves. We need a savior. And just when all looked hopeless, verse 4 says this, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. So if the Lord's stirring you to adoption, you're in that part of prayer and planning, or maybe you're just like working through all the, jumping through all the hoops and dealing with all the red tape, I just want you to be encouraged to keep going by seeing how your father chose you in eternity past and went through all this planning. And you can think even in your own life how he prepared you to receive Christ, you know, and all the events of your life, all the people he brought your way, be encouraged in that. So, so adoption's about a decision to love, followed by planning to love. Adoption's also, though, costly. And this, I think this is one of the first things people think about when they think about adoption, is that it's costly. And adoption is costly. It's going to cost you financially. It's going to disrupt your life, um, which is also a description of parenting, right? That parenting does that too. But there are unique costs to adoption. Um, so adoption's costly, um, but I was talking to Matt this week, and I was reminded, adoption is not heroic. That's what he said. He goes, he goes Eric, adoption is not heroic. You're not going to be a hero. Adoption's not heroic because children are awesome. That's what Matt said. It was roughly, yeah, yeah. Don't think of yourself as a hero. Adoption's not heroic because children are awesome. The, the Lord says that in Psalm 27. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is a man who fills his quiver with them. Since children are a blessing from the Lord, it's not heroic to receive them, okay? Because they're a blessing, right? There are costs, but it's a massive blessing. And as you think through it, I think one of the things that really hinders people from adoption is the cost part. And what I want to do in this text is I want to, I want you to see what the father paid for you and the costs he paid. And I want that to just free you from fear because we shouldn't be so fearful about costs, right? In anything that God's calling us to do, we shouldn't be so fearful of costs, including adoption. And so um, take a look at what the Lord, what, what it costs the Father to adopt you. Look at verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so the Father's price that he paid for our adoption is the sending of his Son. And notice the text says that he was born of a woman, meaning that he was a real human being. So God the Son, God the Father, God the Son agreed to a plan in eternity past. Um, God the Son comes into the world. He becomes a real human being, still God, but real human. He's human in every way. The text says he was, he was born of a woman under the law, 
What does that mean? It means that as God the Son came to be a human, he put himself under the obligations to keep God's law. Isn't that wild? God himself came as a human, and he put himself under the obligation to keep God's law. Now, we're, we were under the law, too. We were under the law in the sense that the law had crushed us, right? The standards of God's law, which we could not keep, and really didn't try that hard, honestly, crushed us, right? The weight of God's law, like a, like a heavy wooden beam, God's commands, which are good and holy, we could not keep as sinners, and it crushed us. We're, so we're being crushed under that heavy beam of the law. And what happened in the incarnation is that God the Son became a man, and he came up under that beam, and he was under the law for us, and he lifted it up off of us. He was able to keep the burden of the law, and he lifted that up from crushing us, and he carried that beam of the weight of God's law all the way to the cross and paid for all of our sins there. Amen? You feel that? You probably, some of you remember that feeling of conviction, of weight, of guilt that you had before Christ, and how Christ lifted that up. He kept that law in your place, and he bore your sin all the way to the cross. And you can see the, the price paid part here in verse 5. Do you see the word redeem? He came to redeem us who were under the law. That, that first century word redeem was about purchasing a slave out of slavery. Because it turned out we weren't just like innocent orphans needing a home, right? As I think, I think Josh had read that we were uh, by nature children of wrath. So we weren't innocent orphans needing a home, right? We were sinners. We were enslaved to our sin. And yet Christ came and he paid the price to redeem us out of our slavery so we could be adopted. Isn't that amazing? It's so amazing. And, and guys, that would have been enough, wouldn't it? It would have been enough. It would have been more than enough. It would be more than expected for him to come as a man, lift up the weight of the law off of us, fulfill the law, die on the cross for our sins. It would have been enough that he would have forgiven us and taken us out of slavery, right? But he did more, right? Reminds you of the old Passover song. It's uh, de nu, I think is the way you say it. Say de nu. It means it would have been enough. And so the song goes through and it said, it would have been enough if he would have taken us out of slavery in Egypt, you know, and not have judged our enemies. That would have been enough. And it would have been enough if he did both those things, but he didn't open the Red Sea for us. And it, and it would have been enough if he would have opened the Red Sea, but not fed us manna. And that would have been enough if he hadn't even given us the Sabbath rest, you know, and, and it goes on and on. It would have been enough. Guys, it would have been enough, Right. It would have been enough for us to be freed from the penalty of hell, to have our sins forgiven and to free us from slavery to sin. But he did more. It says he redeemed us who were under the law so that we might receive what? Adoption as sons. You know? He goes, not only am I going to save you and forgive you and, and, and I'm going to pay the penalty for your sin, but you're going to be my kid too. It's excessive, isn't it? It's excessive. It's really excessive. It's amazing. It's grace, you know? One thing that you might notice in this passage, and then in other passages too, is that Paul often refers to all believers, men, women, boys, girls, all of them as sons. And I mentioned this a, a while back. That's not the Bible not translating it properly. It's translating properly to say sons, not sons and daughters here. And that's not sexist, guys. That's not sexist any more than 
calling the whole church the bride of Christ, right? You could say, well, that's sexist towards men. No, each image has its own glory to it, right? And so we, we think about, okay, what's the bride of Christ? What does that tell us about who we are in Christ? Even men, you know, who are we in Christ because of that? And, and with this son image, this son image here is really important. The reason why he doesn't say sons and daughters here, and the reason why translations that are literal translate it sons, is because in adoption, we receive Jesus's actual sonship. Okay, you didn't become like another kind of kid of his, a relationship that you needed to start and you need to keep it going and you better measure up or maybe you're out of the house. No, he gave us in adoption, Jesus's actual sonship. Now, of course, Jesus is glorious in his own way. He's the eternal son of God. All authority goes to him, all those things. But as far as love and affection and the warmth that we have, we have Jesus's sonship. And so that's why he calls all Christians, both men, women, boys, girls, um, we're all loved equally in Christ. We have his sonship. We have his relationship. Isn't that amazing? And so women, when you hear like sons of God or sonship, don't think I'm being left out. Think like you're being included in a really amazing way where you're actually being included into the relationship that the father and son have always had. Okay, so if you're a Christian this morning, you're no longer a slave crushed under the weight of the law, Right? You've been, you've been freed from that. He, he came up under, fulfilled the requirements of the law, took your sin away. But you're also just not a free-floating person now. Like, imagine he just freed you from slavery, and then he said, go figure it out, you know, come up with your own identity, come up with your own meaning for life. Go, be free. Go figure out something to do. That's what our culture says, right? It says, you're a blank slate. You can just be whatever you want. You decide your identity. You decide what's meaningful. You decide, which is a big burden, right? I don't know about you, but I mean, for me to decide my own identity, my own version of what's right and wrong, my own purpose to exist in the world. Have you guys tried that? So talk about crushing, like that's crushing, right? So he doesn't leave us like that, just a a freed slave, go make your life wonderful, you know, for yourself. He doesn't say that, right? What does he do? He emphatically gives us an identity. Look at verse six. He says, you are sons. Isn't that great? You are sons if you're in Christ. And then verse 7 says, you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. What's neat there is the Greek switches from a y'all type you to a you. Isn't that cool? He's not saying everyone. It's a singular. He's saying you're a son, and you're a son, and you are a son of God, and you are a son of God, and you are a son of God. It's like he points at you, and he says, you're a son of God. Isn't that great? It's emphatic. It's a, it's a legal fact. You know, in the process of adoption, there's this point at which the whole thing's coming to, right? Where you're in court and the, the court just deems you parent and child. This is your kid. And it's not like later they could be like, hey, about that whole kid thing, we want him back. No, this is your kid. And you're this child's parent, right? And it's this, it's this time when there's a legal fact, a super emotional one, right? Where they hear you are a son, you are a daughter, of these parents. And that's what we have here. And then in verse 7, he says, because you're a son, you're an heir. And it doesn't get more legal than that, right? You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God, and you are an heir of everything he has, right? That would really prove it to you, right? Even if you, on a human level, you were adopted, and you kind of wrestled with it and everything, the parents passed away, and you're like the full heir of their stuff. You'd be like, well, probably should have realized earlier, but this proves it, you know, (laughs) right? It's so certain. You're an heir. You are a legal heir of everything the Father has. 
And so some of you, as you think about the cost of adoption, when we think about it, we worry about the cost of adoption or we worry about the cost of, really the cost of anything God's calling us to do. Because God's calling us to do all kinds of costly things, right? Would you say that? God is calling it, yeah. If you're not nodding your head, like, talk to us after. <laughs> God is calling you and will call you to do all kinds of costly things. And, and as we think about that, we should remember that this glory, right? This glory that God is your father, you are an heir. You are actually not poor. You're an heir of all things. You're an heir of all things. You can afford to do anything that's costly that God's calling you to do because no matter what you lose in the process, you're going to inherit everything. Let me say it again. Okay, so you can afford to do any costly thing he's calling you to do because no matter what you lose, you inherit everything in the end, everything the Father has. And you're his kid, guys. I think there's just such a confidence that goes with that, that you're his child, that he loves you. He loves you so much, he gave what he loves most to have you. He gave his own son. Like, the father could literally not have paid more for your adoption, right? Amen? So your, your adoption by God, it's a legal fact. You're his son or daughter. And yet, we can struggle with that, can't we? I won't ask you to raise your hand, but just think about it. Have you struggled with that fact? Have you struggled to believe you're a Christian, you trust in Christ? Have you struggled to believe that you're really his son, fully? that you're really his daughter. You know, your adoption is a fact, but it's not always felt, right? It's a fact, but it's not always felt. One of the special labors that parents who adopt have is to assure their kids that they're really their kids, right? Think about it, you know? Kids that are they're birthed by you probably won't struggle with that, but kids that are adopted might. And it's the parent's role to make sure that the child feels the fact of their sonship or their daughtership, if that's a word, right? And Paul wrote this letter to kids that were doubting their adoption. You guys realize that? The believers that Paul wrote to here were wrestling with whether they were really God's kids or not. And the reason was they were Gentiles. They weren't Jews. And so they were adopted kids, right? They, they weren't born into the family of God like the Jewish believers were. They were adopted into it as Gentiles. And so they, they doubted. They wondered whether they were really God's sons or not. And to make matters worse, there were false teachers that came to town telling them they weren't full sons and daughters, right? You guys know about this. False teachers that came in, they're called the Judaizers. And these were people that came in, and basically what they said is they said that they weren't really God's kids yet. It's like, yeah, it's cute that you're trusting the Messiah. We do too. And uh, it's nice that you want to really be in the family, but you're not yet. Their basic message was, you know God only has Jewish kids, Right? I mean, think about it. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David. See a pattern? Jewish kids, right? And so their message was, if you really want to be God's children, you're going to have to act a lot more Jewish. Men, you're going to have to get circumcised. You have to keep the food laws. You're going to have to keep those laws. And they came in and they troubled churches like the church in Galatia. And they were basically telling them, you're going to have to earn your sonship through law keeping. Does that sound familiar to any of you guys? You're going to have to earn your sonship through law-keeping, right? You could really feel like you're God's kid if you start acting like it. Sound familiar? Ever have that thought in your head? The devil loves to trouble God's kids that way, right? He loves to kind of plant in our idea that somehow what the Father did through Christ needs to be supplemented by our own works, right? 
it's quiet. I will take that as an amen, okay, that you have, you have felt this, that you'll really be God's kids when you start acting like it. The cool thing about Galatians is the father wants so badly to assure his kids that they're fully his. He wants so badly that we would know like deep in our bones that we're his kids. He doesn't want us to doubt it. He wants us to feel deep in our bones that we're really his kids. And so he does a few things. One thing he did is he had Paul write a pretty aggro letter to him about it, right? Which is what we have in Galatians. But he did another thing. Look at verse 6. And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Okay, this is wonderfully Trinitarian. I don't know if you can see that in the text, right? So the father to adopt us sent his son, right, to redeem us. And then so that we could feel like the assurance that we really are adopted, he sends the spirit to assure us. You see that? The father sends the son to redeem us. Then, you know, with all the questions we have in our heart about that, then he sends the spirit into our hearts. Isn't that neat? whole trinity involved here. Kind of reminds you, doesn't it, in a way, this is just something I'm thinking of right now, so maybe it's crazy. We'll just erase it if it is. But I'll do the little uh, men in black. You know, you guys will all forget it. It kind of reminds you, in a way, you know, I was just thinking about this, the whole trinity adopting us and everybody having a role. It kind of reminds you, in a way, of how some of you guys have kids, you know? So it's a parent and some kids, and your whole family is going to be a part of this, right? you guys decide to adopt, like the whole family is going to be a part of this. And it's really cool how the whole family of the Trinity, right? Three persons of the Trinity, one God, three persons, each having a role in, in both the, the making of the adoption and then the assuring. It's just like super beautiful. Anyway, look what the Spirit does. He assures us by crying, Abba, Father, right? Abba, right? It's a it's a, it's a really simple word, right? It's one of the first words like a Hebrew child would learn because they, they would speak Aramaic in that time and they would, they would say as like really little kids, Abba, right? Just like a little kid says, Dada or Papa. Super easy to say, right? But, and it's a word that's shocking because it's so informal. We were just in Hebrews 12. There's this reverence and holy fear that we have for God. There's this reverencing of him. We don't treat him lightly, right? And yet as his kids... We say, Abba. You know, it's, it's informal. It's actually kind of shocking. It would have been shocking in that time. It's intimate, right? And it's presumptuous. It's a good kind of presumptuous, though. It's a gospel presumption. It's the kind of presumption that a kid, little kid, wakes you up at 3 a.m. because he wants juice. It's that kind of intimate presumption, right? Of like, I want juice. Can we address God that way? Can we call out to the most powerful person in the universe, our creator, and call him Abba? Can you do that? Can you assume he loves you like that? And he'll be like, oh, come here. That's great. Come on over here. You're not bothering me at all, right? Can we call out to him like that? Can we, can we be that assured that he loves us? Can we be that assured he wants to hear from us? You know, little kids come up to their parents and they just assume like, this is all we're doing all day. You know, we've been waiting for you to come up to us, right? And yet to have that relationship with God where he's like, oh, good, my kid's talking, you know? Pushes the angel aside, hey, get out of here. Kid's talking, you know? Can we have that assurance that he delights in us like that? You know, the only one who can wake up a king in the middle of the night for juice is his kid, right? Everybody else is getting... And the spirit here assures us that you are that kid. You are that kid that can cry out to the God of the universe, Abba. So cool. Another thing that's surprising about this word Abba is that it's Aramaic, and these guys are Greek speakers. 
So you're like, why not translate it? He didn't translate it, he just wrote Abba, right, in Greek letters. Why? You guys know why? Why does Paul use an Aramaic word to Greek speakers here for Abba? Why does he do that? Yes, it's exactly the word Jesus used to talk to his Abba. Isn't that amazing? So he retains it. This is exactly the word Jesus used. Jesus called the Father his Abba. And because we've received this sonship through Christ, we can do that too. He's our Abba. Amazing. And, and notice one other thing. This is a little bit deep water, so I need everybody to wake up. Okay? Because this is like focus time. Okay? But notice that he calls the Spirit the Spirit of the Son here. This is worth talking about because as far as I know, it's the only time that it's done in the New Testament. He calls the Spirit the Spirit of the Son. He calls him the Spirit of the Son because he's coming in the role of assuring us of our adoption, right? So here's what's going on. To assure us that we're adopted so we can really know like deep in our bones that he's our father and we're his kid, he sends the Spirit into our hearts. And since the Spirit here is called the Spirit of his Son, he's come into our heart to help us to feel the way the Father feels about us. He's there to give us a deep sense of his love and delight in us. The Father has always loved and delighted in his Son from eternity past. And what we have in this sonship is we have God himself delights and loves us as he loves his own Son. And the Spirit, the Spirit of the Son, comes in to give us a feeling of that. So that feeling when you feel like, oh yeah, like I just said now, and you're like, he is my Abba. That was the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? Because we got no good reason for thinking that unless the gospel and the spirit, right? And he tells us that. And as you were like, oh yeah, I'm going to call him that later when I pray. That was the Holy Spirit doing that, assuring you that you have that access. What he's basically doing is a spirit, because he's the spirit of the son, is allowing you to feel what the son has always felt of the love and delight of the Father from all eternity. What? That's crazy, right? Did you guys get it? Do you want me to do it again? It's really cool. Isn't that cool? Spirit of the Son. Okay, so the Spirit, He shows us how God feels about us, that He loves us like His Son, because He's giving us that experience that the Son has always had of being loved by the Father. And guys, you're not going to get assurance like that from your law-keeping. Who tried? Did you ever have any assurance like that? Nope, not going to happen. Not if you're sane. I mean, if you're just like an entire narcissist, you might be like, yes, I felt that assurance. You will never feel that assurance. You're never going to feel that assurance from law keeping, right? That's what the Judaizers taught to do, but it's a dead end. And so if that's what you've been doing, thinking like, well, you know, I know I'll feel like I'm really a son of God. I really feel like his love. If I just tighten it up a little bit more around here and here in my life, then this week's the week. It's like, no. The way we experience that assurance is by hearing the gospel of adoption, believing it, and then receiving the Spirit's assurance in our hearts. And I know that sounds really mystical, and it is, okay? There's no apologizing for that. And I would just say, if you aren't experiencing that, that's what you need to do. You need to fill yourself with the gospel of adoption. You need to dwell on the gospel much, receive it. And I'm not just talking about the first time you believe it. I'm talking about every day we need to believe it, right? Believe it, and then if you're not feeling that assurance, ask the Father to send the Spirit of the Son to do that, right? If you're a believer, you have the Spirit, but He could send the Spirit of the Son in a special way. And if you guys want prayer for that, we'd be happy to pray for you for that, but ask Him. Ask Him for that gift. 
And uh, so some of you guys, as you're thinking about adoption, because that's what we're talking about, um, you might think, well, I worry about, if I were to adopt, that how am I going to assure my kids that they're really my kids? Like, I feel they're that way. How, how are they going to feel that way? You know? And, and I would just say from this text, give them what you've received from the Spirit, right? You have received the gift of adoption. You've received from the Spirit the sense deep in your heart that you're His, and you can share that love with your kids. Because that's really how we do anything hard, right? <laughs> Is we love others with the Father's love through Jesus by the Spirit. And so he'll be there for you to do that. It's not going to be just up to you. God's going to do that through you. He's already done it in you. He's going to do it through you. And just in closing, one last thing, I just want to address to those of you. Some of you might have come in here and you're like, okay, somebody dragged me to church or I came to church on my own or whatever. And you'd be like, this was weird. Okay, like this wasn't what I thought would happen. He was talking about feeling like the son of God, and he was talking about calling out to God, Abba, like a baby, and all this stuff, and you're just like, this is not what I thought this was going to be like. I've never known God that way. I've I've known God as, I've been afraid of him, I've had all sorts of different views of him, but I've never had a sense that he was going to welcome me through adoption as my father, and I would just say, you can have him today. You can have him today. You can have this today. And I hope it was really clear that you're not going to like work your way into this, right? You don't work your way into this. You don't go like, well, maybe I'll have that when I kind of tighten up my life. No, you take it now. You receive it. Just like when we take communion, we take the bread and no one charges you for it. You can take God as father today. You just cry out to him. You say, I want to be your child through Christ. I want you as my Abba, right? And, And you know what? If you do that, if you call out to him as your Abba today, if you call out to him for that, I know where that cry came from, right? If that happens to you today and you're like, that's what I want. I want Christ. I want to be adopted. I want, I want God as my father. I want him to be my Abba. And you call out to him. I know where that came from. Where did it come from? The spirit of the son in your heart. So what does that say? He's already in there. That's a trip, right? <laughs> He's been doing things. Yeah, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the great gift we have of adoption. And yeah, you really went overboard. And uh, Lord, we thank you for that. That we didn't deserve even to have our sins forgiven and to be freed from the slavery to sin and freed from the the oppression of uh, not being able to keep the law. Like none of that was stuff we deserved. And you gave it to us. And then you said, come home with me. and be my kid forever. And so I just thank you for that. And I pray for our body here. I pray for those who, who do know you, who have trusted in you, maybe have been believers for a long time, but have not felt that sense. I just thank you that I think we felt it here as your word went forth. We felt what it means to be delighted in and loved and uh, received by you. And we thank you for that. And we pray that you would do that more and more in our hearts. That gift that you gave us, even as the word went forth, we felt it. We felt your love through the spirit of the Son. We just pray that we would feel it more and more. And so we thank you, Lord. You're so good to us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.